Welcome to the Face Downs, your source for TCG long play strategy discussion and all things Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm your host, Lucas Flynn. And I'm Ruben Kruger. Hello. Hello. Alright, week two of Jan. New year, new us. New year, how, new week. How have you changed this year, Ruben? Any any notable changes so far? Uh, new shoes. That's new shoes, <laughs> yeah. Not a new deck, that's for sure. Not a new deck, Gorge. Me, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, every week, new deck. Like a... Uh, like on the grind, 24-7. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, definitely. Another I was trying to remember what the rapper was that got new Air Force Ones every week. But, you know, we don't talk about rap on this podcast because we're nerds. We talk about <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh, the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> All right. Well, what's the, what's the topic for this week? We had a bit of a news episode last week. So yeah. what are we doing this week? This is a, a second installation. Haven't got a name for the series yet. For our Get Good series. Our um, Get Good. Us telling you what to do because we're better than you no it's our uh, attempt to translate some of the things that we've learned in the past year mm-hmm. as professional competitive Yu-Gi-Oh players and yes. uh we want to kind of communicate i guess some of the core concepts of being good at not only Yu-Gi-Oh, but like card games in general just furthering your skills and yeah. understandings of you know game mechanics elevating said game elevating one's game yeah, if you will one is the year of elevation elevation exactly <laughs> So we we're going to work on helping it bring everybody up. Yeah. We want to yeah. go up. So today's episode is a contentious little topic going second in mm. Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, so Yu-Gi-Oh is quite famous for being the sort of like laughing stock of other card games because of the turn one kill mentality. Yes. You know, Yu-Gi-Oh is very much a game of, you know, I blow the opponent out with like, 50 different resources and win the game before they can even do anything. Or at least that's the reputation that Yu-Gi-Oh has. Yes. It, it, it's kind of, you know, the the um, the non-interactive game. Yeah, totally. Like a lot of people kind of say, well, why, do I, why would I bother playing this game if my opponent just creates a board that is impossible to stop? I have no interruptions to stop this board using any hand traps. See our previous episode. Um, <laughs> and I, my hand will just eat, will just eat negation and I can't play. Yeah, like the the prime example we gave was the Adamantipeda end board. No extra deck, no graveyard, no monster effects, no spell trap effects. Well, what do you do, right? Like you kind of look at that board and think, well, I've lost. There was no point in me even sitting down to play this game. Because I lost the Daryl and was made to go second. Exactly. Well, we're here to tell you that's sometimes true, totally, but yes. it's not always true. Going mm-hmm. second, uh, in my opinion, in, in a combo format is probably the most fun you can have playing Yu-Gi-Oh!, a lot of the time when testing, I like to go second. Uh, not necessarily because my win percentage is as good as when I go first. Uh, but that's only for game one. And it really teaches you to read your cards, know exactly what they do and how they are useful um, in terms of sequencing to break boards. Yes, uh, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of sequencing. Again, mm. thinking about what plays in what order will optimize not only your ability to stop your opponent's interaction, but also give you the win exactly and going back to adamantipate as a prime example of that would be block dragon yep. uh you know before we kind of go ahead to card quality but you know a card that as long as you have it in rotation gets you to full combo and you kind of analyze the game state and think can i you know push through three or four pieces of interaction only to summon this card and then proceed to you know use the rest of my resources to to Create uh, the end board. Counterattack, yeah. exactly. Counterattack my opponent and create the end board. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, w- an explanation of what going first and second literally is. So 
when you sit down at a tournament, you're going into your first round. Uh, you'll go up against your first opponent and you'll roll a dice, basically. That tends to be the practice. I'm sure you could... Uh, flip a coin. Flip a coin. Events, yeah. Some kind of random element is involved. And uh, generally, you'll go for a high roll. The winner of that roll will then get to determine the tone order. How does that exactly work? Well, it's just, you know, whoever wins the dice roll decides whether or not they would like to go first mm -hmm. or they would like to go second. Um, and notably, that happens before you draw yeah. a hand of cards. So it's yes. blind. It's always blind. So we call it blind first or blind second when we talk about this first round first or second which is what we're talking about mostly today yeah so match one game one exactly so you sit down to your first game you uh roll the dice and your opponent rolls higher than you you're playing a combo deck maybe they're playing a combo deck at this point you don't know and they opt to go first mm -hmm. and you go well hmm. you're now immediately your first thought is okay yeah how do i stop them Yes. Especially if you know, if you know, there are many players of all different skill levels at every single level. Um, but I think a lot of people, if you are sitting down at, you know, maybe even some of those more competitive uh, tables or even, you know, a hobby, people, you'd understand what people are playing. You're aware of what people are into, what your real decks people are playing. Oh, yes, honey. So it's a matter of being able to understand, right, I know that maybe three decks are currently in the meta right now. And I know that these three decks will end on three different end boards. How do I, you know, watching my opponent play their cards, am I able to A, determine the end board they're going to finish on? And B, do I have the outs in my hand or potentially my last card for my, my first card that I'll draw? Will this provide me the uh, answer to their boards? Yeah. So you're assuming for the sake of this argument as well that they're not playing unplayable garbage, right? Yep. They're not on like an Exodia deck that if it doesn't see Exodia just passes and loses the game. You're going to assume your opponent is on a competent deck, right? Yes. Um, so the first step, and, and we'll talk about like the kind of stages of going second. Uh, the first step you're going to want to do is see the first play that they do. It sounds obvious, right? Yeah. Wow, but how funny. Sit down <laughs> and watch someone play cards. What are they going to do? The first thing they do. Yeah, so... The most important thing is that you recognize um, first, as Ruben said, what interaction you have in your hand. So as we talked about in our last episodes, uh, hand traps are in the format. A lot of decks, including most meta decks, will main at least one playset of a hand trap, if not two. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for the sake of argument, we'll say you have an Ash Blossom in your hand. Ash Blossom and Joyous Spring being the most common, uh, common hand trap to run in the main deck. Uh, we'll talk about side decking in a second. So... Say your opponent normal summons a tour guide of the underworld. Yes. Using your vast history knowledge of Yu-Gi-Oh that I'm sure you have, you know that tour guide is a very strong card. It's not only used in the uh, Burning Abyss strategy, which made it famous, but it's also used in Phantom Knights, uh, Dark Warrior combo decks. It's used in a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so you're holding on to that Ash Blossom and you probably should ash the first play in this instance right as an example i would agree i, I, yeah. I think in, in an isolated situation you have four cards in your hand uh, five being the ash fifth being the ash blossom your opponent commits a normal summon mm -hmm. to tour guide of the underworld and they declare that to use the effect of tour guide to special summon a monster from deck that's huge yeah that's a lot of commitment to a single monster that very easily loses to interruption and not notably a card that doesn't necessarily extend on its own into a card say something like a normal summoned jet synchron for example 
yeah. uh, has a has a difficulty with interaction due to the fact that on its own it can necessitate a Crystron Huck of Fibrax before it was banned. Yep. And um, create some kind of degenerate full combo with Linkross before it was banned mm-hmm. into Aurorodon. Mm, maybe we'll get banned eventually. Uh, so a, a card like Jet Synchron as opposed to Tour Guide, you know, presents a lot more difficulty in interaction because. You know, it might come out without telegraphing what the deck is necessarily attempting to do yes. alongside it. Um, so this this is what I mean by observe the first play. Always. And, you know, we we often see a lot of, you know, unbreakable boards or, you know, decks will rely on more than one monster as a starter or uh, like they have multiple what we call what we call starters, ways to get their mm. engine going. Um and it can be really hard. It can be really hard determining yeah. which ones are the correct hits, which one are the correct ones to uh, yeah. negate, which ones are the ones to, or attempt to negate at least. Um, and a lot of these uh, meta decks currently have a lot of extenders. So again, things that will allow you to continue doing your combo even through you as the opponent who was watching mm. this player go first commit uh, resources to stopping the the board building exactly and that just comes with experience that's not something we yep. can teach in this lesson but uh a notable another example is like virtual world all their monsters are extenders maybe it's worth holding the ash blossom or other interactive card for something that is on the field mm. like the crocodragon or a pot of desires that they use because you never know what's in their mm. hand but you know that stopping raw advantage is always going to be good yes absolutely all right so you're going second Yes, and you've, you've asked used, the tour guide. You've used a hand trap, you've used your Ash Blossom, and they still go. They still make a board. They end on, like, you know, it's Phantom Knights, they end on Bardish with a Dragoon and a Rank 4, right? Yep. Two Fog Blades set. So yep. probably three, four pieces of interaction. Yep. Now you have to um, analyze the situation again. You look at the cards in your hand. You will have five cards using an Ash Blossom drawing into your fifth card for turn. Mm-hmm. A lot of people see a situation like this and think, uh, I've got a scoop, right? Like, oh, I can't, I can't play through uh, two Fog Blades and a Dragoon, yeah. period. So I might as well just, like, shuffle up my cards and go to the next game. Sometimes valid. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. You know what? It, uh, knowledge is power. Yeah. Um, that sounded very TikTok-y. But, 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 but Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, like, knowledge obviously is important, but we're talking about breaking boards, so... We'll get to that later because that yeah. is actually a really... I want to get back to that because that's a really good point. But say you analyze the situation, you look at your hand and you can't see a line that necessarily plays through their interaction. Uh, another really important tip, so the second really important tip, first one, observe the first play, mm-hmm. see what their commitment is, find out what kind of deck they're playing. The second one is to not assume your opponent has perfect knowledge on you. Absolutely. And this is a really uh, big unless one. Unless you're going against exactly... Um, oh, who's the Long Island medium? Teresa Caputo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to Esperova, yeah. but yeah. yeah Teresa. Unless you're going against Esperova <laughs> with, a, with a brother behind you. Or whoever the prison guard in yeah. 5Ds was. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know the type. Earpiecing them all the knowledge. Yeah. If Pegasus is staring you down, you scoop. But I mean, yeah. you're already dead at that point. So Absolutely. Enjoy your soul in the shadow. And <laughs> don't worry about that. So yes, do not assume that they, just because, you know, building a board doesn't give you full knowledge of your hand. Exactly. Um. <laughs> you may run into an opponent, and this is just an example, that may burn the Dragoon Negate on an upstart goblin uh, or something ridiculous like that. Absolutely, yeah. And 
you know, there have actually been instances in which I've been playing. Uh, for example, when I was on Infernoble last tournament, I kind of threw the entire tournament by doing exactly this. I uh, used my Smoke Grenade of the Thief, which was at the time unlimited, to look at my opponent's hand and take a card out of it. So I was on the assumption that I had perfect knowledge, right? And I was like, oh, you know, I know exactly what was in their hand. I know exactly how to stop them. They went to draw. They activated a Fire Formation Tanky because they were on Zodiac. I chained my card, popped the, you know, uh, smoke grenade that I'd reset, look at their hand, two Zodiac monsters. Now, I'd looked at their hand before, they had no Zodiac monsters. So I was playing under the assumption that, you know, I was totally fine to just go for the hand rip and not worry about, you know, using the, the destruction effect on their normal summon. And then I lost. <laughs> mm. So that's a perfect example of how you can feel completely set up, feel like you have all the negation in the world, and you just make that critical misplay that allows your opponent to go one extender beyond what you have for interaction and break your board. So on the flip side, you are facing down the board. Mm. You might think if your hand is really good, you know, oh, yes. can play through things, and you think your opponent might be... Uh, rash or impulsive with their interaction they might you know burn their early negate and open themselves up to a, a lightning storm something like that if you have that in your hand always analyze the situation i think it's important to not only yeah of course analyze the situation but you have bait like yes even like a great example of going second is just analyzing your cards and determining which ones are critical yeah. and which ones could maybe be throw away uh yep. you know we say things like Pot of Desires. Yes, it's got a heavy cost attached to it, but you just get to draw two cards. Yep. And those two cards might be A, board breakers, but also B, extinction beyond the negation that your opponent's about to face. Yeah, and I, I love that you brought up Pot of Desires because I, I also think that is the perfect example of what we would call bait mm. because it's a card that objectively on paper, your opponent just cannot let you resolve, right? Because what you would be then doing is exchanging one card in your hand for two new unknown cards. Yes. All of which could be massive The card swings, to break the ball. Right? The card. You can't assume that your opponent, who is on the draw going second, hasn't drawn uh, any board breakers, right? Mm. And so, you know, when you see a pot of desires, or you don't know if they're not main decking them, right? Mm. Any deck can be main decking Dark Ruler no more. It's not impossible. So letting them get that raw draw two, draw two is risky, Right. So uh, yeah, and that's a risk analysis that, yeah. that you going second are forcing your opponent to make. So we call that bait, and we we discuss this in the terms of card quality. So oh, yes, you look at your hand. What is the number one card in that hand? Maybe you have your own tour guide of the underworld, and you know if you resolve that card, you, you can you can get to a state where you've pushed through interaction, and your extenders, your board breakers, will just easily sweep up what is left on the field. You're staring down three pieces of interaction, but maybe in your hand you have a Twin Twisters, you have an Infinite Impermanence, you have a Pot of Desires, and you have uh, a card in hand like a, you know, this is a God hand, I guess, but like a Pancratops, right? Like maybe you have enough cards in your hand that you look at the board and go, this isn't hopeless. Maybe you just have two or three of those cards, mm. but if you telegraph to your opponent that you can break their board, they might, you know, burn interaction on... Early everything else and then you know the tour guide can resolve unaffected uh, mm. or you could just fire off the tour guide and you know use the other cards in your hand because they're definitely going to negate that to try and pick apart their board so yes yeah i'd say that's the number one thing in the blind second in the going second losing the die roll matchup those are what you got to keep in mind the other thing you've got to keep in mind and this is the third tip is deck building 
Yes. Uh, deck building's huge right now. Uh, yeah. You know, we... Uh, you know, the current meta, Virtual World, Drytron, Dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, all three very competent decks and all with three very different weaknesses. Yeah. So it's important to use cards that can accommodate... Yeah. Um, or can maybe uh, they can... they Their ability to affect uh, decks uh, spans the meta. So let's say exactly. this example, the three decks. These three yep. decks... Uh, Ash Blossom, which we just described, hits everything. Hits, yes. It hits all those decks consistently com- like and effectively. Agreed. So I think it's important to take that into consideration, uh, assessing the meta, analyzing which hand traps, you know, are maybe more effective than the others, which board, which, you know, go mm. second cards, go second in quotation marks. Uh, cards are more effective uh, than other formats. Because, I mean, uh, Ash Blossom was not good last format. No, it was no, bad. It was terrible. And that's obviously true. You know, hand traps are like a key part of deck building. Uh, you can't necessarily put in, you know, every hand trap for every situation. So you have to analyze the meta and realize which mm. hand traps are going to make the most impact. But on top of that, I've also kind of like un- un- unearthed a new layer of deck building uh, recently, which is kind of the native go second. Um, or like the kind of, you know, in archetype or uh, adjacent going second cards that you can run in a deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest for me lately, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Block Dragon was a phenomenal going second card. And in the Infernoble deck, Immortal Phoenix Gearfried was a fantastic yes. go second card because they were both searchable ish in archetype ways of devastating established boards. Mm. And um, I also think back to one of the, the key arguments when Altergeists were performing mm. or Zodiacs in the, in the recent format as well. Uh, and I think this is a really good example of like an innate going second argument mm-hmm. was whether or not you run Solemn Strike or Solemn Judgment. Yep. I mean, these are two incredible counter traps um, yep. for two very different reasons. Exactly. And they have a similar effect that on surface, you kind of look at Solemn Judgment as a better card, right? Well, okay. Well, one was banned. Exactly. Yeah. One has never been banned. They are now both at three. Yep. And so the only decision between choosing between them, I think, comes down to whether or not you think your deck needs more help going second or first, right? Mm-hmm. And how much you fear spell and traps, I guess, as a secondary thing. Yes. So Solemn Judgment says when a monster would be summoned or a spell trap card is activated, pay half your life points, negate the summon or activation if you do destroy that card. Huge, right? It yep. can negate normal summons. It can negate any kind of um, innate special summon, as any we say. that doesn't start a chain. So a Link Summon... Uh, an fusion Xyz summon, summon oh. not a fusion yeah. summon, but a synchro, synchro summon. Yep. Ritual. Oh no, not ritual summon. Nope. You are. <laughs> you listed the two that don't that kind of work. Uh, and then we have solemn strike. And when you hear this effect, you think it's quite similar. So when a monster with the special summoned or a monster effect is activated, pay fifteen hundred life points, negate the summon or activation, and if you do, destroy that card. Uh, solemn strike is so much better going second. It's not. It's non-negotiable. Yes. And I think the main reason for that is that Judgment's ability to deal with monster effects lies in its summon activation window, in its negation of summons, whereas Strike can negate monsters that are already on field. Or in hand. Or in hand. Or in grave. Or in grave. Solemn Strike is always going to remove something. Mm. The problem with Solemn Judgment going second, while it is an incredible blowout going first, is that it doesn't do anything to established boards and so that's like a prime example of when you are building, say, a trap-heavy deck like Altergeist. Yep. 
when you should run Solemn Strike or Solemn Judgment or both uh, in your deck list. And Altergeist historically has really struggled going second. Uh, so this is quite a key thing to keep in mind. Like, yes. do your traps perform going second? Uh, another notable one in the current format, Ice Dragon's Prison is incredible going second. Yes. Uh, something in the format like Crackdown is also quite good because it can remove a threat and put a body on your own field. Uh, yeah, these are all examples of cards that are kind of transmutable. Um, and I think that's why they've become the more popular trap cards. Uh, Solemn Judgment definitely seeing a wane in popularity as going first just gets better and better. Yes, absolutely. And I think that things, you know, like you say, Strike being able to be so versatile and, you know, I would say Strike is a card that really interacts with a built board, whereas Judgment is something that interacts with building a board. Agreed, yeah. So I think that Solemn Strike is, you know, quite a good mainstay for a, um, for a deck or a build that um, can accommodate it. Yeah, and I think this is just a good thing to keep in mind. When going second, mm. analyze every card in your deck and what it does going second. We all know what our cards do going first. They extend, they push, they search, they... They start. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, read the other effect of Elemental Hero Stratos. It's an incredible blowout against back row decks under the right circumstances. Yes. And knowing that, knowing that going into the matchup where you feel hopeless against an established Altergeist board will help you win more games. Absolutely. Um, so what what would you say are some go second cards that have either, you know, come back into favor or mm. have come in and just stayed in? Well, that's an interesting question because it's kind of two-sided mm. about going second cards in the form of like hand traps, things that you might main deck and yep. things that you might put side in your deck, side yeah. deck um, because we don't always know what we're going to go into game one. No, you never do. So oh. main decking things like Dark Ruler No More, Forbidden Droplets, uh, Lightning Storm Evenly Matched, all these cards is risky, right? Yes, because I think in the case of, I would say three out of those four you just listed, uh, they are absolutely for going second. They do nothing going first. Yep. Like they may eventually do something, say a Forbidden Droplets, but it's rare that you feel great drawing them, mm -hmm. uh, which is the same for hand traps but a lot of them come with the caveat of being monsters that are usable in certain uh, combos or uh, you know needed for extension or are just simply turned on in your hand mm. uh, so when it comes to side deck now side deck is a 15 card deck that is on top of your maximum 60 card deck that you're able to go into between game uh, one and two and game two and three to adjust your deck for essentially what we're talking about here going second for the most part, or going first if you are playing a, what we call, blind second deck. Mm. Uh, something we might touch on after this. And so the, the cards I have listed here that would be considered common side deck cards are Dark Ruler No More. Yes. Forbidden Droplets. Yes. Lightning Storm, Evenly Matched. Raigeki. Harpy's Feather Duster. Pancratops. Uh, the new card, Alpha the Master of Beasts. Uh, what else would you say is like a good going second card? I would say Kaijus. Um, yeah, definitely, which is a series of cards that all tribute your opponent's monsters not as an effect, but as a summoning condition, which yes. is phenomenal. Um, I would say thing... I mean, I, I guess, like, you can say back row removal, or you can tether on to Lightning Storm and Harpy's Feather Duster, things like Twin Twisters, things mm -hmm. like Cosmic Cyclones. Red Reboot, um, absolutely. Red Reboot. Uh, I mean, we saw for a very long time, but no longer um, Phantasme. This is true, yeah. Um, what else are we seeing going second right now? 
I mean, certainly hand traps as well. Yes. This hand is a traps, thing we've discussed already. Yeah. And, and I guess that leads to the question, like, you know, when do you put in board breakers and when do you put in hand traps? I think it's really hard to kind of answer that question immediately, um, you know, with zero context, um, because every game is different. Every meta is different. Every match is different. Mm. So I think... I think again, just circling back to the biggest, uh, the biggest impact uh, in deck building is analyzing the meta. Yep. Know your, know what you're going to be playing against consistently, and that might not just be the competitive meta, but your casual meta. If you know someone at your locals that plays Clock Lizard FTK, <laughs> let's sorry, Kevin. Um, let, you know we can, you can work and analyze those cards and go, okay, well this is what they do. How do I stop that? How do I, you know, mm. they keep winning. They always beat me. I don't know how to stop it. Maybe you can then tether, you know, you know, use some of that knowledge to then go, well, my deck lacks this piece of interaction. And here's a card that I, you know, can maybe put in uh, if one of my main deck cards doesn't really perform the highest against that particular matchup. Definitely. Yeah. Going into a tournament, you need to know what you're going to be up against. You have to, what we call respect, uh, the deck, specifically dinos, usually are the ones that slip under the radar for most going second cards because of Miscellaneousaurus. Always and forever. So, yeah, there's certainly an aspect of, of respecting the meta, respecting, you know, what you consider to be the best decks, but also what your local meta might provide. Like here in New Zealand, you are more likely to see Mystic Mine at the top tables than maybe in America, uh, just due to the lower player base and um, higher quantity of people who enjoy stall decks here, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. Shout out to Hamilton. The whole of Hamilton. <laughs> the whole of Hamilton. When they're not playing ABC or Chainburn, they're playing Mystic Mind. So, yeah, knowing that and knowing that, like, you know, okay, it's actually kind of mandatory for me to run maybe a playset of Cosmic Cyclones in every side deck for every event ever here. Just knowing that is totally valid. Yes, Absolutely. But when it comes to, say you've got a side deck and, and say it's half and half hand traps and board breakers, right? Okay. There are probably like notable examples of when you use either deck or either tech for whatever deck you're up against. Mm -hmm. So I think the obvious one is a back row deck versus a combo deck. Yes. Against, uh, yeah. Against a back row deck, you are most likely going to want board breakers. Absolutely. You want things that immediately demand responding to. Yeah. Um. You know... Things like Harpy's Feather Duster, things like Twin Twisters, things like Evenly Matched, uh, things like Lightning Storm, they demand interaction. Yeah, I they, like that. I like that phrase. They do demand interaction, and they, that's important. Yeah, and they are because they aren't a card that you just go, well, you know, if you stop it, I guess, you know, or if I let it go through, it's not really going to hurt too bad. You know, against a C5 yep. back row, you know, match, they go, great, I would like to activate Lightning, Fe Lightning Storm yep. and use the effect to destroy all spell and traps. You have to then immediately go, well, all I do is play spells and traps. So I kind of need those around and you are relinquishing, you're forcing your opponent to relinquish a piece of their interaction that they might have saved for a monster that they know is good in your deck. Exactly, yeah. The Solemn Judgment yeah. set might have been for your normal summon and maybe that back row player has drawn four more pieces of, of back row that aren't necessarily phenomenal against your deck. Maybe it's, you know, they, they've pulled a Gozen match out against your Phantom Knight's deck because they didn't, they didn't side it out. They didn't have the room. Maybe there's an ineffective uh, crackdown against a deck that just laughs in the face of, you know, minor interaction. Yeah, main decking and impermanence when, yep. you know, every, or a lot of these cards activate in, you know, grave or hand. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really important to, you know, play cards that demand interaction, that yep. want, that force your opponent as, you know, you're the one playing the blowout card, force your opponent to yep. do something. And make sure that card wins you the game is another important thing. 
you know, pulling out a Dark Ruler no more against Altergeist is not quite as impactful as it is against Dragonlink. Mm. Uh, and that's another important thing to keep in mind is the quality of your side deck cards and how um, universally interactive they are. So against the combo deck, you are generally wanna gonna, going to want to put in hand traps because a large majority of them establish uh, board states in which a single board-breaking card won't interact no. too heavily. A board with maybe four or five negations won't lose to a lightning storm. A board no. with uh, a large number of walls, like big monsters, won't necessarily lose to a Dark Ruler no more. It's actually sometimes quite difficult to remove the threats. Uh, notably as well, some decks are incapable of removing large Nibiru tokens that are made from tributing all of your opponent's combo deck monsters. Mm. So knowing all of these things going in, what kind of deck you're up against, knowing um, when to pull out Dark Ruler no more, which is a very risky card overall, you know, definitely risky against a deck like Adamancipator, despite it being the only answer due to the fact that, you know, they are probably going to install uh, an entire follow-up turn with their effects because a lot of their effects activated in Graveyard. Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. And I think it's important to, uh, you know, really assess the cards that are going into the side deck and how much they are going to impact an established board. Yeah. Um, you know... An MST will not break a will not break a back row deck. No, but, but it, it can hurt. It also will destroy Virtual World quite yep, well. Absolutely. So that that's the fun thing about side decking. And another topic I want to talk about, I guess the fifth or sixth, is um, versatility over niche destruction. Absolutely. Uh, a great example of this, I always like to say that, is Orcist format Cyber. Was it um, System Down? System Down. Wow, what a card against Orcist. Blowout. Banish. All machines from their field and graveyard annihilates Orcist. Every other deck, useless. Now, that card, that card did see play due to the prevalence of what we would almost consider to be a tier one, tier zero format with Orcist. Uh, but as a prime example of how you can kind of lose to yourself by trying to be too clever. Mm. Um, like, for example, you know, if you were afraid of Drytrons, maybe putting in a light imprisoning mirror feels like a cool tech option. And it is. It is, absolutely. However, and it's usable against Dogmatica. It's definitely got its applications, but it doesn't stop a lot. No, it's not going to win every single match because, yeah. again, you're not going to be seeing, unless you are unless you know your meta is only Dragon yeah. players, it's not going to... Or ABC Dragon Buster, yeah, <laughs> like Blue Hamilton. Um, yeah, Blue Eyes. So it's not going to stop everything. And you yeah. really, you want... You want going second cards that will just hit a home run yeah. every single time you play them. And that's why you see so many Dark Ruler No Mores, Lightning Storms, Evenly Matched, Forbidden Droplets, because they all just generically say, negate entire boards, destroy entire boards. Uh, prompt reactions, prompt, uh, prompt removal, yeah. prompt negation, and it's really impressive watching uh, someone pick apart an established board using yeah. back row or using destruction and going second cards because uh, that person will just sequence everything so beautifully mm -hmm. and, you know, burn every single piece of interaction that their opponent has and just slowly flick away the problems until, you know, maybe there's an unknown back row left yeah. that they have, you know, three cards in their own hand and are ready to just go full combo after breaking a board. Yeah, it's so fantastic watching or doing this when you see your opponent kind of smirk with their, ooh, I went full combo grin as you kind of, you know, pick apart their board. Something I've had a lot of fun doing in Heroes, for example, with the yes. amount of Raigeki effects in that deck. 
you know, getting to your fourth one and your opponent just look up and go, how do you still have plays? Come on, man. And and you just kind of smile because you've managed to sequence in a way that they didn't manage to stop you. Mm. Um, So yeah, I guess key takeaway from the side deck thing, uh, you know, keep in mind what you're siding for, as you say, going into the event, uh, what kind of decks your cards will hit. And I guess also not to be afraid of those niche specific interactions. If you, if you read that the meta is going to shift that way, Right? There have certainly been tournaments I've gone to where there's been 20, 30 of the 60 people on a single type of deck. Uh, and in those tournaments, I was I was grateful that I put things into my deck for those decks. You know, um, the Spiral format recently saw a lot of people putting in Droll and Lockbird, which is historically kind of bad against a lot of decks. Mm. But when you went up against Spiral and you resolved that Droll and Lockbird and they said, <laughs> pass, <laughs> you feel incredible. You feel fantastic. Yeah, I think that's what Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, at its finest going second feels like is when you you draw that hand, you know it's going to stop the opponent and you don't have that sinking feeling that everything is lost. Yeah, and it's important to also, you know, put on a brave face. You know, a lot of, you know, poker is a great example, you know, poker face. You want to keep you want to make sure that the opponent gets nothing out of you. You know, they could Full combo, the full Adamant's meta combo lock you out of every single interaction. And as long as you just are stoic, are, you know, resilient, and you, you know, make sure that you are confident in your own game plan, I think it's, you know, that's very admirable. You know, someone that doesn't mm. just lose hope every time an opponent summons a block dragon for the fifth time. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to maintain composure and, you know, start to play the mind game with them too. Yeah, I want to touch on mind game too because mind game is a really fascinating part of going second. I think it's a fascinating part of every card game. Totally. Like everything. It's the most fun and I really love talking about mind game because it's like my favorite thing. Uh, I think the first time I was introduced to this aspect of siding was against good friend uh, Napat, shoutouts, who was at the time I think my most feared opponent. Like he was always playing the meta deck. He was always playing like a very optimized version of said deck and playing it well. Very shiny version of that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) ultied out and starlights and all these. It's beautiful. His cards are beautiful. And uh, I think that was the first time I was playing combo mirror. And in the third game, he made me go first. Yes. And this is a really, I, I, from that day on, my entire worldview was shifted. Because in, to that point, I always thought the idea of going first and second was, you know, lol, I get to do my thing and you have to try and stop me. Um, and I got massively, massively punished in that game because I sided in, you know, my Nibiru's, my, my at the time was probably uh, budget. Dark so rollers. Ash Blossoms, Effect Veilers, you know, whatever I had to go second. I don't think I had impermanence at the time, which would have worked a lot better than what I'd drawn. Uh and proceeded to get blown out because I didn't have my combo in hand. And so the mind game is a lot about, again, looking at your opponent, uh, observing them. This is a really key part of card games that no one really talks about, but the kind of surrounding atmosphere of a card game is huge. Mm. Uh, So observing your opponent, say you're going into game three, it's the combo mirror, you see them side like... Six cards. Six, even like nine 12 cards, cards right? Yeah. You see them go massive on the side and you're watching them. This is very important as well when you side deck not to always show your opponent exactly how many cards you're siding, right? Like shuffle your side deck around with your deck, change it a couple times if you think they're watching you. Um, because you see someone side 12 cards, you think, well, 
that's probably a lot of their engine they've just gotten rid of for like blowout go second cards dark rulers forbidden droplets if i make them go first and i side in all of my good going second cards then we're both playing decks full of going second cards but i'm going second exactly i'm the one that has the cards for the opportunity yeah. and i get circumstance to, i get to use the dark rule no more they don't and that's quite important um is that you know being able to gain the value out of these powerful going second cards can win games pancrotops is an incredible card going second that can on its own kind of win you the game uh red reboot another great example if you're in the trap deck mirror you know can be a massive punishment um so yeah i think the mind game i mean you've done this too we've both done this in tournaments you just have to uh you have to be, com- again, confident in yourself. Yep. And, you know, you've made the judgment call that, wow, okay, my opponent's taken 12 cards out of their deck and put 12 new ones in. Yeah. So they've either gone heavy on first or second. Yep. It is a 50-50 call. You know, we, yep. are, we are calling 50-50. And, you know, perhaps you have won game one and they have won game two. So you're in game three yep. and you go, all right, I know that they want to go first. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is put in all my go second cards. Yep. Like, you know, maybe it's a combo deck that cannot do anything with, you know, it's so fragile to a single piece of interaction on board. Yeah. Like say Modern Orchest, a deck that runs a lot of garnets, runs a lot of inefficient cards, Mm. maybe can create an unbreakable board going first, but with a number of going second cards in their hand, they may pivot to more of like an OTK access code kind of uh, formula, right? Absolutely. Salamangrate, another great example. They might side out all of their good traps and put in all their board breakers because they just need to make an access code with update jammer and attack for game, right? Yes. Against a deck like Virtual World, for example, be a little more cautious because they may main deck a lot more going second, Mm -hmm. not touch their engine, and by making them go first, you're really just giving them the opportunity to just win the game on the spot. You know, know your matchup, know which decks run the most garnets, the most go second cards natively, the ones that have the most room, uh, and you can play fun mind games, you know? I think it's great what, as well. Yeah, watching someone squirm when you say, I'll go second, and they go, oh, oh no, yeah, <laughs> is is quite fun as well. And, and that mind game contributes as well to uh, your opponent's confidence, which, you know, a lapse in confidence can mean a misplay, and then you might just steal the game. Yep, if, you know, the second someone does get flustered, and you can really keep an eye on it, once you start seeing someone, you know, you know, quote unquote, sweat, um, it is really, Im- I think it's really important, you know, as as evil as it can sound, to capitalize on that. I think you've got to, you know, you're yeah. you're not here to, you're, you know, yes, you're here to have fun. You're also here to win. Yeah, I mean, so, like we're not advocating to do this in every hobby yeah. league because a, you'll become the person who's known for doing this, and yeah. people will play around it. Like again, shout outs to Pat, you've done it a lot. Yeah. I do see it coming sometimes. Um, but, you know, also keeping in mind that, like, this game is meant to be fun and saving this kind of mind game uh, high-level stuff. You know, practice it with your friends that are comfortable, but in a hobby league situation, not everyone's going to want, you know, some crazy beady-eyed person staring them down as they side deck, like, watching them like a hawk. It's not necessarily uh, relaxing. So yeah, I think, you know, rule zero, have fun, you know. Always, always. You've got to have fun. So we've got a couple of like parting, yeah. parting notes, uh, some advice. Before we get there, I would like to touch on what we call a blind second deck. So what we've talked about so far okay. is strategies for uh, if your opponent makes you go second. There are some decks that choose to go second. Yes. And um, I guess it's an interesting topic. Not a lot of good decks these days will play on the draw. Uh, the main reason being that turn one setups are just so oppressive that you are 
your gambling that you open the right cards to break or stop a board from being built and then um, you know clap back with your own counterattack. Card, uh, decks like Dre Gren Maju, Classic pretty notable second. going second yep. deck, and they are a deck that can kind of flex in like you know 20, 30 going second cards and, and rely on the very small Gren Maju engine. Uh, a lot of which is card draw anyway, Pot of Extravagance, Pot of Desires, uh, Gizmek Orochi, things that just pump up the Gren Maju to be a big hit. Uh, you know, you're staring down a Dragoon, that's fine. Summon Gren Maju, attack Verte Anaconda for 15,000 damage. Mm. Very interesting approach. Uh, one of my personal favorites, the Mech Knights, the Column Boys, yep. uh, basically a deck of Pancratopses or um, and what's a historic, like a... Uh, fiend mega cybers i guess yes where they rely on your opponent having cards on their side of the field to some extent or occasionally turn one setups with the, the extra monster zone but you know for the most part you're relying on your opponent having built a board you can just summon all your creatures which is not an effect and and just attack over it with your big beefy boys mm -hmm. um the issue going second decks predominantly have is again in the mind game department your opponent just goes, okay, you go first and <laughs> you just lose. You just yep. lose hard. You you trade out the ability to establish a strong board, you know, for, you know, the relying on drawing the cards that will beat yeah. them. A lot more hard draw reliant. And I think that's what makes going second so difficult is that a lot of these cards that we've listed are game winners. They are blowouts, but Almost all of them are unsearchable. I think the only one that comes to mind is like what? Dynarest, the Pancratops, and... Uh, droplets. Forbidden Droplets, both of which require either a normal summon or some kind of elaborate setup to search. Uh, yeah, that's what makes them quite difficult, I think. And I think that's what makes them balanced, you know? Agreed. It would be bonkers if you could just search evenly matched. Yep. Well, I mean, you can trap trick it, I guess, is the only way. But it, it doesn't really do anything. Doesn't do anything on your, on exactly. So... Yeah, going second, it's powerful, it's uh, difficult, it's risky, uh, but it's a part of the game, and it's something you need to be good at, because you aren't going to win every die roll. No, not unless you, you know, load a dice, in which case, that's a different topic entirely. <laughs> how um, to cheat, that'll be episode three. How to cheat. How to cheat. Um, so I think it's important to not fear losing the die roll, not no. give up when you lose a die roll, and, you know, be confident in your own deck building. Yeah. Uh, and know that you are capable yeah. of winning. Read in your cards. Any circumstance. Uh, yeah. Read what your cards do. do you know a lot does. I don't. I well, like, <laughs> like uh, you know, King Long in Virtual World. Read that card. It's a phenomenal board breaker. It's very, very hard to stop. And on destruction, it it becomes a rotor for the deck. So you know, read cards like that. Learn which cards in your deck are good going second, and prioritize on the draw. You know those good cards. Um. Wanted to leave you with a couple of parting tips as well. Some positive tips, I guess. Um, yes, always. You know, something that we've learned personally from our game experience. These have all been quite generic tips, but something you particularly focus on when you go second. Yeah, I know. Let's, uh, let's not, let's kind of take away from horoscopes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> what Zodiac. I, yeah. So what I've done, what I've, you know, my takeaway from going second is mine. My biggest thing when it comes to going second is utilizing the time that your opponent takes. So, okay, maybe they're going super fast and you're not aware. You are within your right to ask what that card does. You're within your right to read what that card does. Yep. You are allowed to learn what your opponent is doing. Exactly. While they are doing it. And I think it's important to also understand that, you know, if you are competent and aware of the meta, 
they might be making some suboptimal plays. You know. Yeah, and that's important to know. And that's important because what that what that signals to you is that hey, maybe I do have a go second card in my hand. Maybe I do have a really impactful hand trap, and their way of playing through it. Yep. Uh, has been used early. So yep. let's go meta example using virtual world Roshi Lao Lao. Um, early. Early. Yeah. You know, using it quickly or like before you know they've set up an optimal line to make the second uh you know true king of all calamities they've had to use it to go to the first one you know that that is their only way to a recover and b make a second one so yep. it's important to uh use the time to learn what their cards are doing analyze their situation and yep. you know based on their actions determine that whether or not they are able to, you know, establish the board, the board yep. that you can't beat. And use the time exactly to, to look at all their cards, try to figure out what exactly is in their deck as well, mm-hmm. so that when you go into game two, you know exactly what to prepare for, right? Absolutely. You know, you see some random, like, mashup, Machina, August, Dino deck, you know, like, pay attention to what that does and how it works and how you might be able to stop, you know, maybe a less intuitive or um, meta deck. Absolutely. Uh, this matters even more with Rogue, I think, because a lot of Rogue decks like to steal wins due to misinformation or yep. just... They're just not aware. People just yeah. not don't pay it attention. Exactly. And so it's great because them not paying attention is you've actually won something right there. Yep. So yeah, use the time, like you said, to observe. Uh, and bluff as well. You can also bluff. Oh yeah, bluff. <laughs> just you count know, their summons. Those, <laughs> those five cards, they can be the worst cards. They can be yeah. three Cyframe drivers. Yeah. But you know what? They don't know that. You still act like you've got a gamma. <laughs> yeah. You act like you've got every single gamma yeah. in your hand and not a single driver. I've won games, you know, asking people how many summons that is and, and flicking a card in my hand like I have a Nibiru. It works. Yes. You know, again, you've just got to look at the situation and go, right, yeah. this isn't the way that I've seen people do it so they end on the best board so I can capitalize off of this. Yeah, in game two and three as well. My my top tip, and I think this is like something that people uh, argue about as well. I've seen people kind of argue against this uh, and it's no one to scoop. I actually really believe in this. And that is in reference to if you face down a board, right? And it has five billion negates. You got, you know, Abyss Dweller, Buster Lock, rest in peace. You got all the kind of floodgates. Maybe they flip up an Imperial Order and a and a summon limit as well. You're just completely screwed. Or even, you know, averagely screwed, but you know you're not going to break through it, right? Mm. A VFD is a great example. VFD kind of just wins the game unless you're playing a deck that is, like, purposefully built or is just natively good at beating it. Mm. Um, and scooping, as we say, surrendering, is valid in those situations, notably because it doesn't reveal to your opponent what deck you're playing. Absolutely. So you have a massive advantage going into game two that they have to side blind. I was playing Infernoble uh, in the last round, top tables. I massively bricked game one and set three cards and passed, right? Like horrible. I think I set like a triple tactics talent, uh, a living fossil and a monster reborn, right? With a driver in my hand, like horrible. My opponent then proceeds to, in the mirror, do the full Infernoble combo. And when he goes to pop one of my back row, I scoop. The reason for that is that going into game two, he put in a lot of back row destruction yes. against my deck, which absolutely doesn't care about that. And I think that's one of the really important lessons that I took away is that by scooping, I basically guaranteed my game two win uh, and, and creates a more even playing field going into game three where you both have deck information. Uh, if you go into game two on a loss, your opponent has deck information uh, and you have deck information for both game two and three, which means, you know, they've basically gotten to play two games to your one 
on uh, on like kind of advantage blind. And I think it's also important to, you know, like I said, knowledge is power. You know what they're playing. They don't know what you're playing. Agreed. And so yeah, if yeah. you're aware of the meta and how their deck functions from the limited view that you got, uh, you've got a you've got a very strong leg up on that opponent. Mm. And you know they might go, well, I don't know what I what I put in. I don't know what I signed. I don't know what I add to my deck. I don't know what I take out to yep. optimally beat you. And you go, well, I do. So it's a matter of you going, okay, this is your game plan. You're unaware of mine. Yeah. And more often than not, if that's the situation. You as the person who is going who is going into game two on on a loss, you'll probably just win that. Yeah, no, it's a massive, massive advantage. I mean, think about going into a tournament. If you knew what every deck everyone was playing, you would win more games. Absolutely. And I think this is the same uh, situation where you don't want to give them that advantage. Uh, maybe if it's an infinable player, you don't know how good their hand is. You don't necessarily scoop on the activation of Neospatian Aqua Dolphin because you don't know if you're losing that game yet, and that might be presumptive. They might, you know aqua dolphin set three pass you don't know and i think that's an important fact as well as knowing when to scoop not just scooping when your opponent gets to go first and you think they're going to win mm-hmm. right but yes i think facing down that unbeatable board you can just happily pack your cards up and go to game two because you will then be able to hard counter what they're doing while still there in the dark sticking to your game plan so yeah that was going second i think that was a pretty good run through don't you think yeah i think that was a really nice comprehensive yeah uh, not too you know assaulting um and i hope everyone enjoyed i hope everyone's taking away something from all of these yeah. episodes maybe we'll call the series get good get, get I good wanna, i like to call it the flip side the flip side oh the flip side sounds like a like a sitcom <laughs> like what is it i'm pretty sure it is yeah probably anyway hope you do get good and um hopefully this helps you win more tournaments because you know well, I would love I, I would mean, love to see them, but I there are like certainly you know we are doing a remote duel tournament in the world. Yu-Gi-Oh! Konami is hosting one, not us. Sorry, uh, <laughs> we don't have that kind of money yet. But yeah, there are things happening, and you know the more we sort of return to normal, the more you want to go back with just you know a kick-ass attitude, like new skills, new tech, uh, ready to take on whatever deck is better after this next <laughs> batch of products. Yes, probably Virtual World still. I mean, nothing until March. Um, yeah, I'm ready. I think I'm excited to see what people come up with next. And I hope to see some really amazing uh, deck building coming up uh, in 2021. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Yeah, I'm Lucas. And I'm Ruben. And you've been listening to The The Face Downs. Downs.